This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Chris McCarthy, and we have Marcus Farrow here with us, and we're joined by Anthony Amore, who's a Republican candidate for state auditor, and uh, it should be a great show this, mo- this afternoon. Um, had a couple of days off, so I'm, it's nice to be back. Marcus, Marcus, you did a great job while I was out, but... I know Marcus, I did. Yeah, you always <laughs> do. You always do. So, um, tonight we'll have... Um, First, Anthony Mori here with us, who is just over at the Feast Grounds. And after that, we'll have Diane DeZaglio, who's a state senator. She's on, running as a Democrat for this job. It's um, pretty interesting, Marcus, right? We haven't yeah. had this race. I was telling you off the air. For years and years, this was Joe Danucci's job, and he was a professional boxer. No one ever ran against Joe, and then Suzanne Bump came in. So in most of our lifetimes, this job has never even been competitive. So I, I am... Uh, Pretty happy with with the job that Anthony Amore's doing and uh, and Diana Dazaglio doing to bring to bring attention well, to the position. Well, it's the one race I think, in my opinion, that is competitive from start to finish. Yeah, that's a good way to put and it. And I'm sure uh, Mr. Amore would agree with us, right? I'd like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, um, Anthony Amore, uh, candidate for state auditor. Um, before we get started, you know, if you'd like to uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Thanks, Marcus. My name is Anthony Amore. I'm running for state auditor. I live in Winchester. I have uh, two grown daughters, uh, both pursuing their master's degree right now. And uh, I have a uh, partner who I live with in Winchester, and she has a nine-year-old daughter who I help raise, uh, which is a great privilege um, uh, you know, to get to do it all over again. My daughters are grown, but right. to have a little girl in the house again is fun. Right. Um, but I'm I'm running as a Republican, but I want to I, I, you know I always try to make clear that my goal is not to be the Republican auditor; it's to be the auditor for the people, it's for the taxpayer. You know, I, I talk a lot about how the auditor is the chief accountability officer for the state. I really want to emphasize to to your listeners in whatever audiences I speak to that that doesn't mean accountability to me if right. I'm elected. It means accountability to the taxpayers. I see the auditor as a conduit for the information that his or her team gathers by looking at all the state agencies and then relays to the people. And I think that's something that's been missing for a long time out of the auditor's office. So one of my big goals is this transparent beacon uh, to the people about what we find when we audit state government. We're speaking with Anthony Amori, candidate for state auditor. Uh, You can call in if you'd like at 508 996 Zero uh, five hundred or messages on the WBSM app chat. So, Anthony, um, obviously you're not going to be doing the audits, many of them anyway, yourself. What is so you have a big staff? What is your um, your thoughts on hiring people? What what is your goals? What are you looking for when you build out your staff? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because I'm the only candidate in this race that's had a staff that's run a big organization. Right. Um, when I was with Homeland Security. I had 1,200 direct reports when I worked for the TSA at, uh, at Logan, rebuilding security at, the, at a 9-11 airport. And it was the biggest endeavor in terms of a new agency since World War II, after World War II when the Air Force was formed. Um, so I know how to do this. I know how to hire people. Right. I know how to fire people. I know how to discipline. I know how to motivate. And these things are really important. Um, 
what you're looking for are people that are hard workers, number one, people mm -hmm. with uh, um, a curious minds, people who don't just go to an agency during an audit and say, I need X, Y, and Z, get X, Y, and Z, and report that. You need the people to say, X, Y, and Z is leading me to, you know, LMNOP. So that's the sort of person I'm looking for, someone an inquisitive mind, someone's a hard worker, someone's committed to public service, and someone who wants to make a career of doing this sort of work. Now, that doesn't mean everybody you try to hire dreams of themselves working for the auditor's office for 25 years, but it means somebody who wants to establish themselves and work hard to further their career, not to go sit in a chair in a sinecure and think, this is it for me and I can coast. So that's what you try to stay away from. But again, I've, I've done this stuff for a long time. I have a team of, uh, I think it's five dozen employees right now. I know how to manage staff. I know how to motivate them, reward them, and, and, um, and admonish them when necessary. And this is a skill, with respect to my opponents, who I think are good people, they just have different ideas. Um, but this is a skill they haven't honed, they haven't had. Um, and without that, they'll have to learn it on the job. We don't have time for that. You know, the auditor, current auditor Suzanne Bump has said that they fail to uh, complete just over thirty percent of the audits they're supposed to. Um, if that's the if that's the case, the next auditor has a big job sure. in motivating employees. You can't learn it on the job. You have to be able to do it on day one. I'm the only candidate in this race that can. Speaking with Anthony Amori, candidate for state auditor, uh, you can call in if you'd like at 508-996-0500 um, and ask Mr. Amori a question if you'd like. So um, you, may, you, you you recently made some headlines in uh, with respect to this 62F stuff. And yes. um, so essentially uh, where we're at financially is in, in the Commonwealth is that we're owed some money. Uh, uh, and um, you, what you said was, if we don't get money, you're prepared to file a class action lawsuit? Pretty close. So uh, the law that was passed in 1986 says that if the government doesn't return this money, um, and, and, and just for your listeners, the money is, in a nutshell, a simplified version is if tax revenue exceeds the rate at which people's income grows, then that difference has to go back to the taxpayer. I think okay. it's very reasonable, right? Right. Then um, the key is back to the taxpayer. It's their money. It's not the government's money. It's the taxpayer's money. So, we're, so the, the way the system works, the law says that by September 20th, on or before September 20th, the auditor has to sign off on a number that gets returned to the people. What my campaign has said so the, is that the law provides that if the government doesn't do this, 24 citizens, a team of 24 citizens, taxpayers, can file a petition to the Supreme Judicial Court or the Superior Court saying, we demand that this money be returned. Okay. We're ready. So we have the 24 taxpayers. Um, I'm one of them. Of course. Um, if on September 20th that number is not produced, right away, we will petition the court for this money to be returned to the people. And I want to emphasize, this is not a political ploy. This is $3 billion right. that belongs to the taxpayer, right? And it should go back to the taxpayer. We, all around us, you guys know this, the families are struggling, right? When you look at 9.1% inflation, which is a point and a half higher than when I announced my campaign, 
And you combine that with the fact that real wages are down for the average citizen. Inflation's even higher. People are struggling. You and I, you guys know, you go to the grocery store, you look at the receipt, and you can't believe what it is, right? Sure. You go to the gas station, even though they've come down a bit, it's still $1.75 higher than it was a couple of years ago. People are struggling. They need their money back, and they ought to get it. It should not be credits on your next tax uh, tax return. They need it now. Yeah, Everyone needs it now. And the people who will benefit the most are low-income people. And I'm sympathetic to them, and they should get their money back. And that's what we're working on. It's simple as that. It's not a ploy. It's not a class action lawsuit. It's a petition to the court to say, give us our money back. So, Anthony, one of the other big jobs of the auditor, and I, again, I think people don't really realize how significant the position is, is you'll be the chair of the uh, municipal oversight, municipal finance oversight board, which allows cities and towns to basically use the state's bond uh, rate to get a reduced amount on their uh, on the on the funds they borrow. Um, recently, uh, New Bedford, the city of New Bedford, of which you're addressing now, uh, was up there looking for. Um, for help with it, with some of their bonds, um, how familiar are you with that, with that program, and what's your theory and your thought process on helping municipalities with their bonding and their borrowing? Well, I think that municipalities are struggling as well, um, regardless of what municipality you're talking about. Um, if you if you go to your anybody who's listening, whatever city and town you're in, Google what, what your city or town's unfunded pension liability is. You'll be shocked at right. how high it is. Um, Think about how the taxes in your city or town affect you. Uh, think about once upon a time your garbage was picked up for free and now you're paying for that sort of thing. Cities and towns are struggling. You know, they, um, We have very little disposable cash to say, go ahead, raise our, our taxes. Thankfully, Barbara Anderson was the, the mother of Proposition 2.5. She was wonderful. And she's the person behind 62F. Right. Thank God for her. Her spirit lives on and looking out for the taxpayer. But I think that these cities and towns, that the auditor has to look at them and say, in places where it's needed most, in looking at how it's going to be spent, most importantly, we have to look at the people who need it most. And that should always be the overriding principle, looking at communities that are um, underrepresented, that have um, populations that are marginalized, and look at ways that we can help them with these with these uh, uh, with this financing. You brought up the pension reform Mm -hmm. issue. Um, That's a big deal. It's a real big deal for cities and towns. I was a selectman at one point um, in the '90s, and things have gotten only worse since then. Um, Talk a little bit about the role of the auditor with pension reform and your 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 ideas on pension reform. Well, from a meta. perspective. I think that the auditor really sets a tone for the state. I think when the auditor is looking at agencies, the 209 uh, agencies that serve the taxpayers, I think when the auditor goes in as an honest broker, not playing political games, not taking shots at agencies because you're a Republican or a Democrat, but going in and showing the people what you're finding in terms of spending, I think that fosters an attitude for every city and town, for every taxpayer, whether we're talking about pension reform or anything, in terms of um, letting people know that their government is working in a uh, ethical, uh, cost-efficient manner. I think the auditor sets a real tone, and the way they do that, though, is by communicating to the public. And um, I will say with respect to, to Auditor Danucci, mm-hmm. with respect to Auditor Bump, 
um, it's not a personal attack, but I would say they haven't over the years done a good job of letting the people know what they're finding. Right. And that's a goal of mine. It's just transparency. People talk about transparency, but it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to implement it. So the auditor has two great powers. One is the ability to go to court and force an agency to hand over paperwork. Now, um, one of the Democrats that's running said that they have subpoena power. You don't have subpoena power. You have the power to go to the court and get help. Sure. Number two, though, the most underutilized part of the auditor's office is the bully pulpit. Yes. Right. I guarantee you nobody listening to this right now has heard from the auditor before about what's going poorly or what's going well mm-hmm. in the state. Right. Why? Right. What's the point of an auditor to, right. to do audits and, you know, file them away and say, we, we did 70 percent of the audits we're supposed to do? Or is it to communicate to the people? So the best thing you can do for cities and towns writ large regardless of the issue, is to be transparent and say, here's what's happening at the state level, and you should mirror it at the city and town level. So with that said, and, and um, uh, uh, will you make a commitment to return to this program, should you be elected auditor, for the future to broadcast your audits? It's amazing you said that because I was on this very <laughs> station uh, sat, uh, last Saturday, I think it was, with Jessica Machado. Yes, yes. my and old I said, what if, one of the things that I would commit to is going on shows like this once a month and ask the auditor what's going on. I, I was on Boston Black Radio a couple of weeks ago, okay. and I said the same thing to Ron Bell. you got to reach out to these communities, right? You can't be the head, a constitutional officer, do the job, file the stuff away, and say, hey, the citizens can come get it if they want it. you right. got to reach out to them. you got to reach out to the black communities, to the underrepresented communities, and tell them, here's what your government's doing. You have to have a website that's usable and, and, and quick to use with quick information. And you have to go on shows like this, right? And not just you know the, the big shows on NPR or whatever, but shows, community shows. Right. Talk to cities and towns and tell them, hey, here's what we're finding. And that... Something like this would be the best way to do it. So I am completely committed to doing a number of shows like this and maybe even having my own show, like a YouTube show or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. Where you, where you talk to people. You fill in for me a couple nights a week. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I don't have a voice. I, but I, really, I, I, I sincerely believe that a major part of being auditor is telling the people what you find. Because what's the point? Right. Right. So, What's the point if you don't? So you mentioned your Democratic uh, your Democratic opponents. Um, so a couple of questions. One, what uh, distinguishes you from your Democratic opponents? And two, what's your path to victory as uh, a Republican in Massachusetts, knowing that Republicans have had statewide success here in, um, uh, in elections? Well, I, I think I could answer them both with uh, combined. And I think that what differentiates me from my opponents is that, um, again, I, I wrote a op-ed for commonwealth magazine yeah i I don't know if you saw it did you see that i i i understand if you didn't but it was about how my opponents are good people with different ideas i happen to think my ideas are better that's why i'm running for office okay but they're not evil i am so sick and tired of political factions pointing at the other side and saying they're evil it's ridiculous right people don't want to hear that but what differentiates me is experience so Throughout my career, I've been doing audits and inspections and investigations. That's my profession. I've been doing the investigation at the Gardner for 17 years. I do audits and assessments going back to when I was in the government and still today on the side. I'm a a licensed private investigator. I do security audits. Um, I 
led the compliance and enforcement team at uh, TSA, DHS, and we did so well. I was sent to Washington to to, to uh, help frame the way these would be done nationwide. I've done it. I've run teams of auditors. I've hired auditors, inspectors, agents, they called them. They were special agents. My, my opponents have interesting experience for, for what they've done. Diana DiZaglio, the public servant, and for 12 years she's been on Beacon Hill doing her best. And uh, uh, Chris Dempsey um, works in transit and knows a lot about transit, served for six months as an assistant secretary of transportation. But they haven't run anything, and they haven't done audits. So I often say if this was a civil service job and it was like hand your resumes into Marcus, Marcus will review, you'd look at my resume and say, 30 years doing this work. You'd look at my opponents and say, hmm, nice resumes, but not for this job. That's what differentiates me. I've led massive teams of employees. They've led no teams. And you can't learn this on the job. It's, there's too much work to be done. You have to audit 209 agencies in three years. So uh, we're speaking with Anthony Amori, a candidate for state auditor. You're the only statewide candidate that Governor Baker's endorsed, to my knowledge. Why do you think that is? I think that Governor Baker has known me for quite some time. And he knows I look at government the way he does. If your listeners think about Governor Baker, um, they don't think about, oh, he's a Republican governor in Massachusetts. No, they think he's the governor of Massachusetts. Sure. And he makes the best decision he can for the state, not based on ideology, not based on commitment to a party chair right. or party donors. He does the best thing for the state. And the governor knows that's my philosophy, too. As auditor, you're not going to hear me saying I'm the Republican auditor. I won't use the office for political means. Okay, I know. You know, the, the current auditor um, has been known to, to campaign from her office. Her own deputy auditor filed a complaint about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't audit agencies based on who the governor is, uh, uh, which does happen. You know, auditors say, well, as a member of the Democratic Party holds the corner office, I'm going to stay off executive agencies. No. The goal is to put the best interest of the people first. So our motto is professional, not political. That's how uh, I see the office. That's how the governor sees it. And that's why he's endorsed me and only me, because he trusts me to be to, to run the auditor's office the way he's run the governor's office. Um, speaking with Anthony Amori, a candidate for state auditor, you can call in if you'd like at 508-996-0500. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris Marcus and Anthony Amori. Download the double. Former federal agent, I thought this was—I thought this was a good play-in. I like it. What do, what do you think, Anthony? Well, you know, the the opening song when the show started was "Start Me Up" by the Rolling Stones. I'm a huge Rolling Stones fan, so you're really hitting the music tonight. <laughs> right? That's good. Um, we're speaking with uh, Anthony Mori. He is the candidate for state auditor, uh, which is the watchdog of the Commonwealth's government, uh, state government, and. Um, you, if you want to call in, you can at 508-996-0500. Um, so Anthony, if, if you, um, you know, obviously it is political and you're here looking for votes. If people want to learn more about you, learn more about your campaign, what's your website? Thank you. My website is amore2022.com. So my last name is A-M-O-R-E 2022.com. Perfect. Um, now, you were down at the Feast Grounds today, yep. Yep. and uh, you were with Sheriff Hodgson uh, yep. taking you around, and as well as Jake Ventura from Dartmouth taking you around. What was your experience like at the at the Feast? What a beautiful thing, and I've, I've been there before. Right. 
Um, the Madeira is unbelievable. I'm not much of a drinker, but I couldn't resist it. Um, but honestly, the people are just remarkable. Um, they put on a first-class feast. I mean, I, I, uh, I've been to feast before, but this is a different level. And everybody you meet is just so friendly and nice. Right. It, it sounds like a cliche. Yeah, right. it must be the, whatever right. it is, it works. Right. right. Because whatever stand you go to, the people are happy. Um, the atmosphere is happy. It seems, as a security person, I noticed a lot about the security, and the security is top-notch there. So really kudos to uh, Mayor Mitchell and, uh, and the New Bedford Police. So what a great experience. I mean, it's such a wonderful thing for families to go to. The tradition's amazing. It is. Um, uh, my, my family's been involved with it for like the, almost the full hundred years. So I serve and, you know, I, I volunteer for it every year. It's, it's, a, it's a big point of pride. And, um, you know, I wrote a column, actually. I'll just plug this now while yeah, I can ahead. on WBSM.com about how Madeira wine is the the drink of the American Revolution. Absolutely. I can remember yep. as, a, as a kid when I first started, you know, reading books on the revolution, I remember saying to my father, Dad, is this, is this Madeira wine, like, at the feast? He goes, yeah. You know, it's, they, you know Thomas Jefferson, ba- Benjamin Franklin, all drank Madeira. You've yeah. heard of them. You've heard of them. <laughs> yeah, Thomas Jefferson actually planted cork trees so he could bottle it himself on Monticello. But but we're here with Anthony Amori, um, and I have a question. Uh, so last I talked to you was on my old show, mm-hmm. and you... You brought up what I have, what I, what I personally have categorized as the only good faith argument against the Work and Family Mobility Act, which is the, for people who don't know, the the law that gives uh, allows people who are undocumented the ability to get a driver's license. You said that the RMV uh, is ill-equipped to handle this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, two questions. Do you support the repeal effort of the Work and Family Mobility Act if you're elected auditor and its law? How are you going to ensure that the RMV is ready for the Work and Family Mobility Act? Terrific question. So the first part, what I would say is what I support is what Senator Bruce Tarr introduced, which was a driver privilege card. I sincerely think that people who are here undocumented, illegally, whatever term people prefer to use, uh, should have some sort of ID to drive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a fact. It, you can you can sit and be philosophical and say they don't. Be- you know, this is not me speaking. Right, there, sure. there are people who argue they don't belong here. Um, they're vehemently against immigration. Listen, they're human beings, and let's be pragmatic. Right, they should. They're driving, and it actually helps law enforcement too to be able to say, all right, we have a reasonable idea of who this person is. If there's an accident for insurance purposes, driver's privilege cards a great thing. Here's why. I don't think the driver's license is a great idea because I worked for immigration for five years. I know what it's like to look at identity documents from around the globe. And it's incredibly hard, Mm -hmm. even as a trained immigration person who does this for a living. A lot of times you get an ID or passport or birth certificate that you, you have to send to a forensic document lab. Now, if you work for the RMV, people complain about the RMV, right? But the guy, imagine the person behind the booth. Right. That's a hard job. You have an endless line all day. You have multiple languages coming to you, a million different issues. Now we're going to say to them, on top of what you do, which is strenuous and time-consuming, I want you to be able to differentiate between a consular card from Chile, a birth certificate from um, Albania, and a passport from Zimbabwe. That's not a fair task, right? So right. what happens is because they're not 
proficient in this, driver's licenses go out to people who may not deserve them. And what that does is cheapen the driver's license for everyone, the undocumented, the, the U.S. citizen, everyone. So it's not fair to the system. I want to make it very clear, though. I don't have a problem with undocumented people having an ID. Not at all. I just think there should be a middle ground where you're taking this amazing burden off of the RMV worker. It's an impossible task because, again, when you work for immigration, you're seeing passports mainly. The list of documents that people can present at the RMV is enormous. Right. right. Think about Massachusetts, how many different versions of a, of a birth certificate you might see. Right. How would you know? Yeah. And now you're going to say that about a birth certificate from Isa Burjani. <laughs> yeah, right. That's it's right. not it's an unfair burden on the on the RMV. So five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. If you want to speak with um, uh, Anthony Amori, uh, let's go to the phones. Good evening. Thanks for holding. Good evening. Um, I want to speak to Anthony, but quick, Chris. I got something for you. I got a surprise for you. I'm going to come out here later and ask you. If you're interested in this, I have somebody that might uh, be interested in doing an interview with you and uh, oh. the other gentleman on your show. Okay. Okay. All right. Anyway, to this guy, I like what this guy's saying. Um, if I can vote for him, I probably would vote for him. I, I, he makes a lot of sense. And another question to him, he likes the Rolling Stones. Who was the best lead guitarist the Rolling Stones ever had? And a lot of people don't know about him because he wasn't around long. Well, then you're in the hot seat I know now. you're probably thinking, you're, you're thinking um, Mick Taylor. You got it, man. Yeah. All right, man. You got <laughs> Look at phone. that. <laughs> Look at that. Nice Look at that. You, just, you, you yeah, got his... Mick, Taylor, Mick Taylor was incredible. Tremendous. Um, he, he, re, he regrets now leaving the Stones. I bet. He was going... He was going through trouble with heroin and stuff like that back then. He wanted to clean away from the drugs and stuff. So he left the Stones and Ronnie Wood, which is another good guitarist, but I think McHale was better. I uh, replaced him, but well, uh, I'll, I'll, still with him. I'll tell you really quick, sir, that um, a few months ago in September, I think it was, I had the pleasure of walking Mick Jagger around the, the Godner Museum where I work, and Boy, that was really cool. I, I, cool. I, when, when I found out we're going to do this, oh, and, and you just, I just thought to myself, was he a good guy? Very good. All right, very good. And he was asking me about my job, looking for this stolen art. Right. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, is Mick Jagger really talking to me? <laughs> right. Really, Mick right. Jagger? You know. And I mean, who can? Who's cooler than Mick Jagger? It's no. hard to. Yeah. It's hard to come up uh, with someone. Keith, I love yeah, Keith. I love Keith. Keith. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I, I would. Maybe not back in the day. No. <laughs> now, Keith can be a nasty guy, but he's also a very nice guy. He's knowledgeable. He's actually clean and sober now. Yep. He might smoke a little. He might smoke a little weed, but. Thanks for the call, thanks man. For the call, Appreciate man. it. Call us 508-996-0500. vote for you. Good evening. Thanks for holding. Good evening. Hey. How you doing today? Tom, Good. what's up? Well, I, I don't know. My brain's been working overtime, and I'm not sure if I'm on the right track here, so I have to ask the candidate. I'm, so, I, I'm Honestly, I might dump your call after the, you said Jabbar was better than LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you can keep dreaming too, but uh, <laughs> my, my question is, and I'm not sure that's why I'm calling because I know you guys will know the answer. Under Chapter 40B, every city and town is supposed to have 10% of their housing uh, uh, to be for low income. Right. And if every once in a while, you know, the newspaper comes out on how many points short each city and town is. Does the auditor have any jurisdiction regarding that uh, investigation of that issue? And if he does, uh, would he be willing to file, and, and it's going to take a little while, I know, uh, legislation for those cities and towns like New Bedford that are over the top, uh, we're way beyond 10% uh, of our housing stock uh, for low-income uh, folks, and we should be able to sell that the value of that to the mm. cities and towns that mm. don't. So say, and just for example, because I don't know, Safe for Haven's at 4%, and they got to get to 10%. And New Bedford's at 17 18%. Couldn't we uh, come up with some type of formula where New Bedford could sell to Fairhaven to satisfy, or at least they could buy a couple of points uh, toward, you know, getting to their 10% from the city uh, and a value be established like that. And I don't even know if the auditor has any jurisdiction, and that's why I'm calling tonight. Well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, thank you for the question, is the one thing that would worry me about selling these points is the idea uh, the idea of wealthy cities and towns oh, sure. uh, getting rid of their points so they don't have, you know, we I think personally think that in Massachusetts we have a NIMBY problem. Yeah. Right? yeah. There is a, a there is a not in my yeah. backyard problem when it comes for to sure. affordable housing. Um, and I think that's something that needs to be addressed and to the extent that the auditor can have an impact on that, I definitely would want to. I, I, I think that I really want to work to protect the legacy of Governor Baker. And, you know, people forget that when he took office that uh, homeless people were living in hotels and motels. And you don't have that anymore because of his investments. Um, and that's a great legacy to have yeah. and that's something that I'm, I'm committed to myself if, if i could say yeah, one thing really quick it's really important when we were talking about the driver's licenses I, you know i wanted to finish a thought that people understand that i'm i happen to be a republican but i happen to be a very pro-immigrant republican one of when i was an immigration officer one of the great honors of being an immigration officer or, well there's two that rem, that i remember one of course is representing the government but the second is I dealt with a lot of refugees coming into the country. A lot of people from that fought in Vietnam for the mm-hmm. South Vietnamese Army right. who were coming to America. I, I had people coming in from the, the, the Bosnian conflict. And you meet people and their families. You say, what, what kind of work do you have lined up here? Because they'd have to have a job. And it would be, I'm going to be on an assembly line, uh, you know, putting little pieces together. Okay, what did you do for work in Serbia? Oh, I was a heart surgeon. Right, right. You know, I was newspaper editor. And you never forget those things. Um, and then the second great honor, <clears throat> excuse me, is the, the naturalization ceremonies and seeing people become U.S. citizens. You know, I happen to be a pro-immigration person. Um, so I want to just make that clear. It's, it's, sure. I, I, I do believe people should have an identity document, so even one, if they're here illegally. One of the things you're... you're, you're, Thank, you're thanks for the call, Tom. Appreciate it. Yeah, that the, the Marcus asked you about, and I, th- I thought it was very uh, very instructive, is that you're saying, look, you're very familiar with all the foreign documents that are going to be, or many of them, they're going to be brought in. Hey, remember when you made fun of me? 
I said, hey, wouldn't it be interesting to have a guy that knows foreign documents on? You, you made fun of me. You did. Yeah. You did. You yeah. did. Here we are. You, you won't have a registry employee. Though. Let's not forget <laughs> that. So, so would the auditor be able to set up some sort of system where they work with the registry to help them audit? I mean, that, that right. gets because that's a practical approach, a solution to what we're looking at. I'm glad it's you going asked to happen, that. Yes, right? I'm glad you asked that. And actually, Marcus, I, I failed to answer that when you uh, asked it. I think the auditor, if if you know, if efforts to overturn this are unsuccessful, I think the auditor has a role going to the RMV and saying, "Okay, well, how are you accomplishing verifying identity documents?" Because that's the crux of the issue. And again, ask anybody who's done it for a living, whether they worked for immigration, if you're older like me, or if you work for uh, Customs and Border Protection now. Ask professionals. It's very difficult because there's limitless. We're not just talking about passports, folks. We're talking about all sorts of documents. And, you know, you have a person in front of you, you want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But once you give them that license, it's right. over. Right. And the next person in line comes up. So that's why I really supported uh, Senator Tarr's driver's privilege card. I guess it's... Um Go ahead. So, so you, you mentioned about homeless people in motels, mm -hmm. and I know as preparing for this interview and, and the one with Diane, I um, was looking at some of the audits that have been done uh, recently and in the last few years, and one of them was on the amount of homeless people living in motels, and specifically children, and, and, and the funding for states, for the schools, right, that come from the state, that they're no longer in the district, that they used to be registered in, but the money's still going there. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that around here is one example. Dartmouth has a lot of older motels that... Um, are used for that, right? That it's not, and so the town of Dartmouth, you know, right next to New Bedford, does does have that issue uh, to some degree. What sort of audits would you be looking to do? And is that something you might want to do a refresh on, so the communities are able to know exactly what 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 information they need to appeal to the state, right, to get better funding? I think the best thing the auditor can do, and again, without seeing the the current uh, the most recent audits, right. <clears throat> is making sure that. The state agencies responsible for services to the homeless um, are, are, act, are performing at peak level mm -hmm. to make sure that the money that the citizen, citizenry has voted for uh, through their representatives is being spent properly on these people. I, wanna, I think you can only do so much, right? There's a lot of issues in society. Homelessness, in many instances, is tied to substance abuse. Yeah. I you know, I personally lost my older brother to fentanyl. I really? know this is a major issue. Um, I, I'm very concerned about about this issue. So I want to make sure that any money that's going to these agencies to help people is being spent properly, whether it's for substance abuse treatment, whether it's for children and education. Um, these are our most vulnerable people in society. Right. And we can't just look the other way. Oh. Right. The main reason for government is to provide service to the vulnerable. Yep. Right. Is to protect the citizenry, provide services to the vulnerable. I'm again, though I'm a Republican, I'm very much a believer in the social safety net. Sure. Very much. Sure. Um, I didn't grow up with a lot. And I've heard Diana's personal story. Mine's not unlike it. You know, I grew up between two housing pro uh, projects in Providence, Rhode Island. I, I, I was talking the other day about how when I would take the city bus into high school, I was the one white kid on the on the right. bus. Right. Um, I grew up amongst vulnerable populations, amongst underrepresented populations, and I care deeply about them. So I think the auditor can have a, a real role in helping with all of these issues by focusing on how money is being spent. 508 take one more call before we have to go to break. Good evening. Thanks for holding. 
Hey, Marcus, Chris, Don up in Stoughton. A couple quick questions. <clears throat> First off, what if somebody takes and lies on their paperwork? Should they be deported? What should happen to them? Uh, deportation is a very complex process. I've, been, I've dealt with it extensively when I was in law enforcement. Um, there are a, a specific list of deportable crimes. Um, well, lying on a form such as a driver's license that you're applying for. Yeah, well... If you're here illegally to begin with, sir, you are already deportable. Right. Um, right. The problem is that the system, uh, I shouldn't say a problem, the way the system works is that people who are ordered deported, um, if you don't have good records on where they live, being able to track them down and get them, get them to court for these things to happen is incredibly complex. So um, if you lie on that form, if it's consider, I don't know if it's considered a felony or a misdemeanor. I don't know what the law says about license forms. <laughs> when I fill out my census form, I'm told that I'm committing perjury if I lie. Yeah, I don't know what, but I, I'm okay. just being honest with you. Uh, I don't know what the driver's license form okay. says. Well, well, I, 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 I think they should be held to uh, some sort of accountability, and if they desire to lie. But what happens if we cannot ascertain who they are? And lastly. How much money is this going to cost us? How many people do we have to do we have to hire eighty seven thousand IRS agents in order to go through the records to find out if, if these people are real? Hey John, thanks, 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 thanks for the call, Don. Appreciate it. So so um I know I know we're a little bit on the on the Dreisens issue, but but that's not really one of your responsibilities, but you will just be auditing documents basically, right? We'll be auditing the process. Right. I think right. it's important to go in and say, All right, how are you determining citizenship? And then and then either you know critiquing it whether right. it's going well or poorly right all right we're going to take a break we'll be right back new bedford's news talk station i got more secret agent music <laughs> <laughs> all right so welcome back to south coast tonight we're joined by anthony amori candidate for uh candidate for state auditor Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. If you want to ask Mr. Amori um, Mark, a question, did, did you ever think you'd have this much fun talking to an auditor? Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, so, give people at home another opportunity if they want to find out more about you, your campaign. Where do they go to? Thanks. My website is amore twenty twenty two dot com. That's a m o r e twenty twenty two dot com. Or if you Google me. It'll bring you to my campaign website or my personal website, and you can learn a lot about my background. So a lot of people are hearing your name, and they're saying, I know this guy, right? How do they know you? What's the famous <laughs> case you're involved in that you and I were talking about off the air? Tell everybody at home, to, to, they probably recognize your name, but they might not make the connection. You're reading my mind. You know, one of the challenges of this campaign is people know me from um, my work looking for the stolen art at the Gardner Museum. And I've written three best-selling true crime books, so people know me. They don't realize I'm that same guy that's running for auditor. You right. know, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Dis- disconnected, you know, but it's really not. Investigations and inspections like this are key uh, what are the books? What are the titles of your books? Auditor. My books are, um, the first one's called Stealing Rembrandts, and the second was called The Art of the Con, which is about fraud. Right. Right. Um, so I've written a book about this topic that I'm running right. for this office. And right. then the latest one was called The Woman Who Stole Vermeer, which is about the only woman who's ever stolen a masterpiece in the IRA. And it's a very – it did really, really well. It's been optioned for, uh, for a series. In really? Fact. Yeah. And um, we're excited oh. about that. Yeah. What? Where? Make sure you get me uh, in that picture. It's the, it's the same production company that produced – it's a British production company because the woman was British. Cool. Um, 
And well, we don't know where it's going to play yet, but the writer has been assigned, and they're uh, working on. That's fantastic. This, but I'm so busy, I don't keep track of it really well. Right, yeah. right. But so that's how people know you is that, that you're big involved in the big art heist. Yes. Off the air, we were talking about it. I won't, I won't ask you anything really on the record Thanks. here on the air, but but it's a fascinating case, right? It's um, you know, I tell people I had planned my career would be five year impl- uh, increments. So that's what I did, five years here, five years there. I came to the gardener and said, I'll do five years looking for these paintings, not knowing that it would catch me so hard. And I've been to 17 right. because these paintings are so important. And honestly, if I, I will never stop looking for them. If I'm elected auditor, I will always have this. You know, When I get home at night from a long day, um, I'll still be talking to the FBI and you know where are these paintings now and uh and what can we do to get them back it's uh they're they're too important to civilization to ever forget um so we're speaking with Anthony Amori candidate for state auditor um just so a little bit about can you just talk a little bit about what the you know what kind of museum the um, Isabella Stewart Gardner is cuz uh, my understanding is um, just from an art history class 12 years ago, you know, is that uh, it's a museum uh, in which the the uh, Isabella Stewart Gardner left uh, to the public, but with the condition that basically nothing can be moved or changed. Is that correct? It's perfectly correct. And I, you know, um, people hear that and they pass right over. And I, I stop and say, listen to me. This is a one of a kind museum. She built it so that the country would have a great museum. It's not a house. It's a museum. And. There's a couple of billion dollars worth of art. And when this woman passed away, she didn't leave it to her family. She left it to the public right. for its enjoyment and education forever. She's one of the great women in American history, Isabella Stewart Gardner. But in her will, she said that the way the museum is today, the, the actual palace has to remain. So the example I say often is if the Louvre said, you know what, we'd like you to have the Mona Lisa. We'd have to say, well, we can't put it in the palace. Because really? <laughs> Uh, her will says that the entire collection would have to be auctioned off and the proceeds given to Harvard. Wow. Uh, yeah, because she was very she was very closely connected to Harvard. The guards used to be Harvard students. Yeah. Um, but well, they don't need it. No, I know their endowment. Their endowment <laughs> yeah. is pretty hefty. Yeah, right? yeah. Right. But it's. Uh, I I really urge everyone to go. Where the museum is at full capacity. Um, don't miss it though, because it's an experience of a lifetime. Yeah, it is really a cool place. Um, 508-996-0500. We're going to take uh, one more break, and we'll be right back. Why should you download the... With Auditor Candidate Anthony Amori, um, what, what is your favorite heist movie? That's a good question, because my career in security and investigations and in, in heists has made me jaded, yeah. and I can't help but sit there and say, oh, come on. Like, if you watch the Thomas Crown Affair... So much of it is just, like, outlandish. But, hey, it's escapism, right? Of course. Um, I, I can't think of one that... I, I mean, I like that movie. Yeah. Um, what the Oceans movies? The Oceans movies, nah, because it, it's it's just all this pretty boy stuff that doesn't... Yeah. What about the uh, original one with Sinatra? Anything with Sinatra is okay all right. with me. All right. All right. And, you know, I also like the original, the original Thomas Crown. Too, okay. With uh, Steve McQueen. Yeah, Steve McQueen. Yep. That's I, I like that that better than the uh, modern heist movies. It, I, but it's my fault because yeah. I look at them and say, "Oh, that's that could never happen." Well, right. plus with those heist movies, it's always like, uh, "Oh, you didn't know this was going on the whole right. time." Right. <laughs> right. Plus, yeah. plus the, as you point yeah. out, the pretty boy stuff. The thieves are never that good looking. And neither are the investigators. <laughs> <as you started. laughs> 
We're speaking with Anthony Amori, candidate for uh, state auditor. Um, so is there anything you want to leave the audience with? you got about a minute. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for having me on. It's been yeah. a pleasure talking we'll have to you. have you on again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and if I'm elected, you will hear from me often. And Great. I'm committed to uh, talking to the people, letting them know what's going on in government. But the one thing I would leave to the audience is this is a race about who is able to do the job on day one. And respectfully to my opponents, I'm the only one that's done this type of work ever. And my opponents have zero days worth of experience doing inspections and investigations and audits. Just they haven't. And I've led big, big teams in the private sector and in the public sector. So if you want someone that can do it on day one and someone who can do it uh, with integrity, experience, and with your best interest at heart, I guarantee you that you won't be throwing away your vote by voting for me. Lastly, I would say that my goal is to be a professional auditor, not a political auditor, not going in for headlines and playing games based on politics. You can count on me to be a fair arbiter working for you to protect your money when it's, you know, when it's being stretched more than ever. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks for coming Thank on. So and uh, we're going to be joined by Donna Zaglio in the next hour. Stay tuned. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris and Market.